good? All right. Uh, thank you guys for the clock. We're actually starting the sermon right now. I just want to say I'm really excited about today. I'm, I'm never excited about my sermons, but no. So I'm really excited about today, and the reason why is this is going to be a really fun day. It's going to be very interactive. It's going to be a lot of back and forth, all this kind of stuff. And the bottom line is, is what you're going to come away with today is going to be super important. Let me, let me tell you what we've been doing. Just as we started out the year and we were talking about simple obedience, God has moved us into a season, and I think the season that we're working on right now is this. You really, as I said last week, you really should never do something because you should do it. That's not to say you shouldn't do the things you should do. It's just a bad reason if why you're doing is because you should, but what you really want to do is something else. You see it? God is not looking to deny you. God is not, that's why he gave you free will. You can do what you want to do. And we all understand that, you know, what we want to do is not necessarily what God wants, right? So what's God trying to do with us? Change us. Down deep where we've been talking about, where those planks are, where that, that initial reaction, what our wanter is. He's changing us, transforming us at this most fundamental level so that the things that we want are the things that he wants for us. See, that's what he's trying to do. So the things that we do, they're not things, look, there's always going to be sacrifice, there's always going to be tough times, there's always going to be this stuff. But even in the middle of those things, there still can be this reaction in you of, I want the thing that God wants. Does it mean something to me that I'm a little bummed out about? Well, Jesus in the garden drops his blood. That was something he was a little bummed out about. Right? But... He wanted what God wanted, and that's why he did it. And this is the argument I'm trying to make with everybody here. This is the thing I think God's trying to say with us. If you want to do it, if your first reaction, if your heart is to do the things that God wants, what's the chances of you doing them? Like enormous, right? <laughs> Compared to what we are right now, which is, well, you know that Christian thing, I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and, I gotta, and then I get to go do this, right? No, no, we want him to transform us from the outside. So what we've been doing in this regard is we've been looking at parables because what we've discovered is, amazingly, it turns out that nothing resets us, resets our wanter more than a parable. This is the last thing that Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's filling them with these stories because he's resetting what their initial reaction to anything is going to be. He's resetting what they want, what they're going to, how they're going to react to things, and therefore what they're going to do because he's about to be gone, and they're going to have to be the ones carrying it forward. And we can say it was kind of successful. Twelve guys, billions of people, right? So there's something in this, right? <laughs> this thing that Jesus did worked. So real quickly, if you did not see last week's sermon, I highly recommend you go back and take a look at it because I think it's foundational for what we're going to be doing for a while here, particularly as we look at parables. But one last time, I'm going to give you the very briefest overview of what we're looking at. Last week, we looked at three simple little things to do in order to, in order to get a parable to do its work. And the first thing that we said was is that you have to work on it. You can't just handle the things of a parable casually. And now let me make it clear. You can't just handle the things of your life casually. You've got to work at what they mean. 
You've got to go after the deeper meaning, which is to say you must experience the aha, the revelation, the appreciation by working on it. Now, here's what's being said. The misunderstanding of right and left brain, left brain is the accountants and the boring people, right brain is the kite flyers and the, if there's accountants in here, I love you. But you see what I mean, the, the detail, the facts, and right brain is flying kites and playing guitar. That's the misunderstanding of what the brain is. It's much more sophisticated than that. What it is, it's right and left brain. And what left brain does is it gathers information, and then the right brain comes on top of that and tries to make sense of the information. It tries to find a pattern inside the information. Now understand, you can get it wrong. You can go, oh my gosh, I see a pattern, and it's not there. It's not true, it's not real, it's not God, right? There may be a pattern in there that's true, but it's not God. So you need the Holy Spirit to help guide you into the ahas that are really God, which will be bigger ahas, because you'll start to see, oh my gosh, this is what I wanted in the world, but now God's showing me how that's just a corruption of the deeper, more wonderful thing he has. I've always said this, and I'll always maintain this. Drugs are the perfect illustration of this. Drugs are literally taking the anointing that God wants you to feel and using that. No different than if you ate a peach and it's life-giving, delicious, wonderful peach and Satan can't make a peach so he gives you sugar. See? And that's what the deal is. God has something richer and better. That's what he's going after in us. That's what he's trying to get you to and you've got to work to get to the, to get to, oh, Oh, that's what God wants. Oh, that's what God's, oh, that's amazing. See what I mean? And once we do that, what we learned is when we get the aha, when we get the revelation, that's the stuff that goes deep in us. You do not forget that stuff. It, it goes deep in you and it starts to affect the way that you think, the way you react, what you do. See? So that's what we're looking at. And just a, just a little bit more. If you get steps one and two right, if you work at it and you go after the revelation, the aha, this, this moment of revelation, which we're going to be doing a lot today, if you get steps one and two right, you reset the planks, the receptors of our instantaneous reactions, the ones that happen before thought, before reason. Whenever you see anything in the world, whenever you hear anything in the world, anything, you have an instantaneous reaction to whether it's right or wrong. It's an amazing binary thing. Now, there's subtlety to it, so it becomes more complex. It becomes quantum at some point, as we would say. But the point is, its initial thing is binary. There's a sense that it's right, and then you try and figure out why it's right. There's a sense that it's wrong, and you try and figure out why it's wrong. But the point is, we all have this sense of things, which we learn comes from Six taste receptors, this is not important, but I'm showing it to you just because, okay? These are, the, these are the things, these are the planks. Whenever I refer to planks, that's what I'm talking about. And what happens is, is you, have a, you have a particular weighting on each one of those planks, and what the Holy Spirit's doing is, he's trying to make you get the fullness of each one of those planks. Because then you're much more likely to have your reaction be what is actually God in fullness. See? Which is what we're saying is our elephant. Those planks, that, that stuff, the sense of us. We like to think we're in control, but really we're just the little guy on top. The elephant is clearly in control. Not to say reason can't affect the elephant. But if, you gotta, if you're going to change, you're going to have to change your elephant. 
you're going to have to change the planks inside. You're going to have to reset them, let the Holy Spirit reset them. That's what we're going after. That's what we've been looking at again. If you want more on that, go to last week's sermon. I think it would be very helpful. But let me just give you the test drive. It's important for today too. So here's what we did. We took a parable out for a test drive. Today we're going for a journey and we're going for the road trip. But the test drive last week was this parable. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And here's what we've discovered last week. You can look at that parable and handle it superficially, not really work at it, and you will get this, re this revelation, be humble. It's not really a revelation. It's not like you didn't know it. And the point is it doesn't actually help you be humble. To know that you're supposed to be humble is why you're not humble. Okay? You realize how many times you're not humble. So you need to reset something so that you're, it's not that you're acting humble but really wanting something else. Right? You're not sitting at the bottom of the table going, oh, please call on me, please call on me, please call on me. That's just the same thing as the other thing, right? What, what, what we went after was we worked more deeply on it, and all of a sudden we saw something. Here's what Jesus was actually trying to say. Trust me. Trust me. Are you, are you going to get what you want? Are you going to try and get what you want? Are you going to be the guy pushing the rock up the hill? Are you going to jostle at the table? I love what happened last week. Thank you, guys. Are you going to jostle at the table? Are you going to fight for your position? And I, I want to say something really. We didn't quite get to this last week, but this came up a couple times during the week, so let me say something. You do realize there's never any problem with you advocating for yourself, right? Ever. There's no problem if you want a promotion of letting the boss know that you want the promotion. If you don't want the promotion, if you want the promotion and you don't tell him and you don't get it, partly it's on you. <laughs> you didn't tell him, right? And if you didn't make your case, you can make your case. Here's the part where it goes from being fine to being not fine. When you're the one that's pushing for it, when you're the one that's trying to make something that you want happen, you can do everything you can to advocate for yourself, but then you have to leave it in God's hands. You have to trust him, right? That's where you're not pushing the rock up the hill. You can make it known, but don't push the rock up the hill because what ends up happening is the rock crushes you, right? So you see, in that little parable about don't take the better seat, when we worked at it, <coughs> we came to a place of, oh, yeah, God has my life in his hands. I need to be careful about overstepping that line because then I'm taking it into my hands and he'll let me. And that's not going to go well. So I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and then I'm going to cast my care on him. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to say, you're in control and what you want from me. Nobody can shut that door. And if I'm supposed to go in there, I'm not the one supposed to be opening it. If I'm not supposed to go in there, I shouldn't be opening the door. See, you catch the drift? You see where the revelation is? So we get this deeper revelation. Now, like I say, last week, that was a test drive. This week, we're going to take this, this puppy out for a, an Audubon cruise. Okay? 
and we're going to get this deep. And what, you're going to, what we're going to do is, by the time we're done today, you're going to be an expert in how to get revelation. And not just in a parable, but in everything in your life. Wouldn't it be nice to know what's happening in your life? Wouldn't it be nice to not have to ever say, why is this happening to me? Or what was me? Or, you know, did I do something wrong? Or, 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 wouldn't it be nice to know what's happening, even when you don't need to? You just, right? You don't, you don't need to know. You just obey God. That's what we learned at the beginning of the year. But the point is, is we're getting to a place where, and here's the deeper thing for me. Remember when we did the, the, the guy in the uh, um, Good Samaritan story? And, and what I said was, is we all have this thing where we walk right past the opportunity that God had, and we don't catch it till afterwards. And when you catch a thing afterwards, you can go back and try and do it, but if you've done, ever done that before, it never is the same, is it? Right? So I'm trying to do something here, if you guys will go along with me. I think God's trying to do something in us. He's trying to get us to where we never have regrets. Making decisions that don't require a time machine. He's trying to get us to where the decision that we make, the first reaction that we have to a thing, is him. So that 10 years from now when we look back, we go, wow, that was cool. I did the right thing. Does anybody want that? Anybody in here want that in your life? Because I can tell you I do. So Lord in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you to bring us this. I'm not the one who's praying, but I am asking you to bring us this. Pam, would you pray for us with the sermon? Sorry, I just, okay, go ahead, thank you. So Father, we just ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would invade this place, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us in the depths of our very being so that every fiber of our being would be a glory to you, Lord Amen. God. And Father, we come and we lift up the church in Japan, even God. We ask that Amen. you would rise, raise them up to be Amen. your voice and your hands and your feet to the people that are um, impacted by the earthquakes and the, and the devastation that's from that, Lord God. We just ask that you would make your presence known in that place. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying that. Stop. Is it true that earth, I think earthquakes can only get to eight, right? There's above an eight? Oh, how's it high, how high does it go? Just forever? So like if the whole world just death starred, that would be like over an eight. Right? Okay. Really? Because 7.8 off of Ecuador? Isn't that big? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, it was... Far east and then Ecuador and what other part of the Pacific plate might that be affecting? Huh. Oh. If, it's, if, it's, if it starts to shake. <laughs> uh, okay. One more principle that we have to lay down. Okay. Uh, what I did was, is, is okay, uh, one more principle that we have to lay down. We're just adding this into the must work on it. When you're dealing with a parable, in fact, when you're dealing with your life, but it's just easier and obvious when you're doing your life. But when you're dealing with a parable, you have to enter into the story. You cannot read the story as exterior to you. You have to put yourself in the story for it to have its impact on you. The disciples were watching him tell a story, but these stories were in the context of something happening to somebody, and they were identifying with the person that it was happening to. 
You, see, you hear what I'm saying? Now let me just briefly, what this is called, real briefly, is mirror neurons. Mirror neurons is this idea that they were doing a study on, uh, this is actually a mouse brain, but they were doing a study on chimpanzees, I think it was. It might have been orangutans, but I think it was chimpanzees. And what they were doing was they were mapping how the brain fired when a chimpanzee reached out and grabbed a banana. They want to see what parts of the brains are involved and what parts are firing. And what happened was is that they, they did that. They mapped it perfectly. They knew what it looked like. And then the researcher that was doing the test was hungry. It was and he reached out to grab a banana, and he looked out at his screen, and the chimpanzee was firing just as if he was the one picking up the banana, even though it was the researcher. And that's where we discovered mirror neurons. And that is this whole complex inside of us that makes us have empathy. It's the reason why you see going through something and you hurt too. Splonchnizomai, that's that word that goes on inside of us where your guts turn, right? You, you, you see somebody in pain and something and you, oh, you die for them, right? By the way, exactly what a sociopath is, somebody whose mirror neurons don't work right. Because when they see people going through, they don't empathize with them. They don't have this capability. In fact, little little just tidbit because it's fun. Uh, when, I, when I yawn... And I wish I could get a real yawn out. Because if I could just yawn right now, I would do a full yawn. And what it would do is, see, it would, it would connect. Yeah, you help me. <laughs> now I want to yawn. So I'm not a sociopath, thank God. But, but what happens is your mirror neurons see that yawn, and they make you yawn. A sociopath doesn't have that. When he sees you yawn, it doesn't mean anything to him. See it? So, but, but here's the point about what we, here's why we need to do this. Mirror neurons, what they do is, they put us in the story. So when you're watching Tom Hanks on screen, he's the best every man of this generation. Okay? He's the person, no matter what he's doing, that you identify with. It, in, in film theory and all this kind of stuff, it's called the protagonist. That's the way with books and every story. Every story has to have a protagonist. The bat, the, sometimes you watch some of these stories that you go, what was the redeeming value of that? You know why? There was no protagonist. There was nobody there to identify with. Everybody just sucked. Okay? <laughs> there has to be somebody in there that you identify with, even if you don't, you know, Breaking Bad. You don't like what he's doing, but you identify with the character. Okay? Not that you should ever watch Breaking Bad, but anyway. Okay? Are you getting what I'm saying? There's a person that you have to identify with so that when things happen to that person in the story, it's not just the person they're happening to. They're happening to. We're called, we, we call ourselves narrative beings, and we learn from those things because they happen to us by mirror neuron. So we have to enter into the story. So here we go. We're going to start entering into some stories, okay? Here's the first one. Now, remember, the first one in this series was the one that we just did, which was, uh, help me, at the table. Don't jostle for your place at the table. Then, so that's the first one, and then right on the heels of that, this is what he says. He turned to his host, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives. Now right there, all of us are going, what? Well, then who are you supposed to invite? Jesus says invite, they will invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Okay, now watch how we can, watch how we can enter into the story. This is really simple. We're going to get to be experts at this. Okay, now, who are the characters in the story? Just kind of call it out. Who are the characters? The host is one. 
Okay, who else? Who else are other characters in the story? They're important. What's that? Yeah, well, so it's the, it's the friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors. That's a group of people. So what's the last group of people in the story? The last group of people that you can identify with. The poor, crippled, lame, and blind, right? Now, now, here's the question. Which one are we supposed to identify with? Who's the protagonist? The host. Now think about it. Even the disciples were doing this. They're at his house having lunch. Like Jesus has the worst table manners. Right? I mean, here he is, you know? Now, in fact, of course, he's blessing, and I, I mean that as a joke, right? But the point is, is, is here he is. He's saying something. Can you just see, if you're a disciple, if you're one of these people that just hates conflict, and Jesus says to the host, don't you, are you kind of going, wow, I'm really hurting for the host? We're supposed to. You're supposed to. And then you're supposed to take what it is that he's feeling. And the disciples were taking, what's this guy feeling? They're going through this story. Now, I'm going to have you do last week, which is break up into two and threes, or just by yourself. You can totally do this by yourself. I reckon by the time we're done, we're going to be doing it by ourselves. So, you know, just, we're going to turn to two or three, but let me give you, and we're going to, you're going to talk about this, and you're going to say, what are we supposed to be getting out of this story? What's the point of it? What's Jesus trying to teach? Okay? I've entered into this story. This happened. What am I supposed to gain from it? What's the revelation? What's the aha? Oh, I get the point, and that makes me change inside. See what we're looking for? Let me give you one little hint. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those of you. Just a little hint. Okay? All right. So having said that, break up. Okay, like I say, just chat for a couple of minutes. We're not going to take terribly long because we've got a few of these to do. Okay, and if you're sitting, uh, Vini, could you come in closer? Okay, so that they talk with him. Okay, I know you don't like that, but, but thank you. Okay. No, no, I'm good. Thanks. Actually, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's helping me. I don't know what's going on with my throat. Yeah. You talk to those guys behind you, Michelle, unless you don't want to. But they're really, they're really good at this, and so are you. It's going to be right now when we get everybody's attention, okay? Kirk.
give it 30 seconds. It'll be a fast 30. Okay, Sean, hop up. Okay, all right, we want a couple of insights. Go ahead, what do you got? Raise your hands. Remember, save it, save your best for last, because remember, you gotta, if you get to talk once, you don't get to talk twice. Head down to David, would you? Go ahead, Joel. Stand up, stand up. Oh, sorry. So I don't think we got to what the really deep point here is, but one of the things that occurred to me is that I think that this is more, it's not about getting a reward now or getting a reward later, it's about learning to do what God wants you to do. So when you're going to throw a party, go to God and just ask him, who do you want me to invite to this party? Maybe it is your rich uncle because he needs to hear the gospel and he's going to hear it from you. Yeah. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's the guy yeah. down the street who hasn't had a shower in two weeks. Can we all agree on something? You do know that he's not telling you that every party you ever have from now on has to have nothing but blind, lame, poor, and crippled people at it. <laughs> We all get that, right? That's not the point, right? Okay, David. So Deb gets credit for this. Okay, um, she gets credit for a lot of things, David. No, but I, I get to present this one. I get it. Invite those who can't invite you back. Yeah, very much. Very much. But now, but now and that's very good, and now what we've got to do is take that revelation and work it a little deeper to where, because what we're trying to change is our wanter. See, you can, you can tell me, invite people who can't pay me back, but that doesn't make me want to do it. <laughs> that makes me aware of what it is I should be doing that I don't want to do. So how do I get to where I want to do it? Go ahead. Um, so along those lines, you know, we wrote down that um, it's about motivation for uh -huh. God, not for our own. So instead yeah. of just thinking about what we would get in the afterlife or here on earth, What's our motivation? Is it about our Father? And what That's awesome. I'm going to springboard off of that. There's more that could be said. You're going to have lots of opportunities. And I'm not calling on somebody who's already raised their hand. But, but I, I want to take you. I'm going to just do this one, and then we're going to have about three or four more. Okay? So there's going to be lots of opportunity to get better at this, but I'm just going to jump in now. So here's what I want to do. I think the key for unlocking this is when he goes to rich neighbors, which has been said by you guys, right? The idea is, is if you're doing something... That somebody can pay you back. Now watch. I'm hoping that this is an aha for people. Watch this. Watch. What's the problem with that? Because it's not bad, right? In a sense. If I'm doing something with you because of what I can get out of you, how am I treating you? Who are you to me? You're, I'm using. You're, my, you're the object for, to get what I want. Now who are you instead? What you just said. Yeah, you're God's child. When we're using one another for what we can get, that's porn. Porn. Sorry. Isn't it? It's objectifying. That's not a child of God anymore with value in and of themselves. If your life is oriented to what you want, then you're going to go after whatever you want. And then you're going to get what you wanted. Are you, have you lived long enough to know that the stuff that you wanted is not actually going to do for you what you thought? It's not going to work. How are you going to get more than you could ever imagine? Literally, 
How are you going to get more than you could ever imagine? Give it away is really good, but in the context of this, how can you do exactly what we're talking about, exactly what he's saying there? Yes, by going after what God wants, but about how to treat people. Let me just put it this way. Who's the fourth character in this story? Jesus. How's he treating people? As the children of God. Whether they're poor or they're rich, whether they're blind or they're a family member, he's treating every single person, person with immense value. And that then works out perfectly for everybody. You're not using them to get what you want. Now, do you feel this? When we got here, do you feel how it, your, your brain kind of goes, okay. You feel it kind of starting to get of you all of a sudden? See, the story on its surface level is just, you know, invite other people. But when you start getting, when you work at it, all of a sudden you start unveiling even deeper than where Jesus goes. We're going to see that Jesus has given us a couple of different times his understanding, but even his understanding isn't as deep as what he's actually talking about. Not his understanding, but the way that he says it. He's saying, if you're still selfish, then just do this. But actually, when you get below it, you go, oh my gosh. You see it? You just think about how different life would be if every single person you, that you ran into, every single person, no matter who they were, no matter what they were, no matter, you treated them as a child of God with inherent value, and you were trying to bring the value out of them to see what it was, to fall in love with it, to do what he does with people. Amen. Do you think then this would be a different world if we did that? <laughs> you see it? It's unbelievable. The power of this little thing that he just said. You see it? It's like, oh my gosh. All right? So let's just keep going here. All right? Now, now watch this. Remember I just told you something. And here's what, I'm going to show it to you. Now watch this. Here's what he says. Then at the resurrection, the righteous God will reward you. Now here's the way that we can interpret that. Just look at the things of your life, this world. You're not got, you don't have an eternal perspective. And you're going to get things that you want, but that are not going to be consistent with what God wanted and are not going to be good for you in eternity. You're actually losing your reward. But now watch what he's saying here. Is it the deepest meaning of the parable? No, the one that we just talked about is. So understand what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, look, if you still want to process in terms of what's good for you, that's not the best thing to do when you're not going to get your wanter reset. But just understand something. Just, if, just stay selfish. Just stay selfish in the context of what's more real, which is eternity. You see it? Now, Jesus is not telling him to stay selfish. But you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, if you would just know what was really happening here, you would be and treat them differently if you were just trying to bless yourself. But when you start coming off of that, you get to the revelation that we got to, that he intended. Because here's the point about poor, blind, lame, and crippled. Your friends ought to be your friends because of whoever it is that God made you friends with, no matter who they are. When you have a party, you ought to be inviting your friends. And they will include everybody. They'll include all the people that he's put you in contact with. He's giving you your sphere of influence, as we call it. All right? We got it? Okay. So nice little, right? So now let's go to the next one. Now watch what happens here. Okay? Here is a man at the table sitting with Jesus exclaimed, 
what a blessing it'll be to attend the banquet of the kingdom of God. And we would expect Jesus to say, yes, it is nice. But he's not doing that, is he? He's, he's, he's drilling something here. He's trying to take people to deeper and deeper and deeper places. So here's the parable now. Jesus, I hope you can see this. I, had to, I wanted it all on one screen. So Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come the banquet. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field, must inspect it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out, please excuse me. And another said, I now have a wife and so I can't come. The servant returned. <laughs> Why so many people catch that? A lot of the gutters, folks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the servant returned and told his master what they... <laughs> That's hilarious. It is a Beavis and Butthead world, I'm just saying. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There's still room for more. So his master said, Go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest of my banquet. Now, first thing that we do is what? Who are the characters? So that we're going to figure out who we're supposed to identify with. So tell me who the characters are. Start doing it. The man who prepared the feast, right? The servant is another one. Who's next? Okay. Right. So the original invited guest. Who's next? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the wife. <laughs> Everyone else. Okay. Now, who are these characters? We're in a complicated, so a lot of different characters. So who are these characters? So who is the man who prepared a feast? God. So you got to enter the story. Who are the characters in the story really? Right? God. Who's the servant? Jesus. Who's the originally invited guest? The Jewish people. Who's the poor, crippled, blind, and lame? Yeah, not, not, not quite yet. We, we don't get to Gentiles until next. Who, who are these people? These are the people that the Jewish people don't value. Even though they're children of God, these are the people that they don't hold value on. See, you're, you're, you're poor and crippled and blind and lame because there's something wrong with you. Because you did something bad. Because God's not favoring you. That's stupid stuff. You see it? So... People, Jewish people didn't value, and everybody else is the Gentiles. So here's all the characters in the story. Break up into your groups. Tell me now, I, I got a question. I'm going to refine the question down a little bit. If you're a disciple and you're hearing this story, what, did, what are you supposed to be learning from this story? Your disciples sitting there right then. What what is Jesus trying to teach you? What is it you're supposed to get out of this moment? Okay, go ahead.
All right, all right, all right. Okay, Annika, you go first. Okay, go ahead. Sean, yeah, go to Greg. I feel like if we as the children of God get too comfortable in our role as his children and then forget that being invited to the feast is really an honor and we get too comfortable in it and so just put it off and put it off and like forget that it's not always going to be a guarantee that we'll get in Yes. and that you really just... I, I, I absolutely, but yeah. I absolutely think yeah. you are absolutely right at this place. So that's just perfect. Thank you. Uh, who, Greg? Got to stand up. Oh, Maureen. He's goading me. <laughs> I was actually trying to figure out if I were a disciple, if I were John yeah. the Beloved, or if I were yeah. the Sons of Thunder. Like the yeah, what are you thinking? People. Right. I actually was trying to think, what would I think? Well... All of them were common people, so they would see an, an ink um, post as a frightening thing. I would think I wouldn't want to be the servant who was feeling the brunt of his master's anger, um, you know, about nobody coming. And as I thought about that, I just realized, boy, I would be taking that as a lesson to my, my initial response to, to uh -huh. an invitation. My initial response of obedience is key. Because Absolutely. all of the first people who Absolutely. Are asked, and, and what is it that all those people are doing? The people that are declining invitation, what are they doing? They're doing what they want. And so the, if, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about re wanter. So what they're doing is, is what they want is what they want. And so you're absolutely getting right there, and this is just where you were, Annika. Get somebody else. Okay, let me, let me do a couple more, and we'll come back. Let's do Marty, and then we'll... Okay, let's do two more. Like I say, we've got more that we're doing. Go ahead, Marty. What I get out of this is that we reject the abundance of God because we're just so attached to the things of the world. We're so attached to the things that, that, that we want, the things that, we're, that are right in front of us. Well, now, watch. None of these will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Which banquet is going to be the most glorious banquet that you could possibly ever which one? Right? So because of what you wanted, you locked yourself down, and you missed out on the thing that was surpassingly, infinitely, eternally. Go ahead. Hi. Um, in my opinion, at least, the disciples and what we should get out of this is as soon as Jesus ascended in heaven, all will change, and we become the servants in the situation. Well, I love that. And we need to go out bringing the lame and the blind, no crippled, everyone to the table. See, we're already getting really good at this because, <laughs> because now that's the application, right? Where you've gotten is the application. What he's trying to say to us is he wants us to be doing something. He does want us to be going out and bringing people in. We're still at the place of the wanter, but he's doing do one more. I'm going to do Patricia just because she's in the back there. Okay? All right? And then we'll do one more. And then, and then like I say, we've got like three more, I think. Okay? So for me, some days, I don't know about you, but I'm a Pharisee. And I just go, hey, I'm a Christian. So no big deal. I can go do whatever I want. And I don't, you know, yeah. I'm in. 
I'm totally in. So That's if right. I if I don't if I don't want to go out to the lame and the blind and the whatever, I don't have to because yeah. I'm in. I'm and in. he's saying maybe not so quick, lady. Now, now, the question was sorry. The question was, what are the disciples supposed to be getting out of it? That's exactly it right there. The disciples ought to have a moment of fear in their heart right now. Why? Well, first of all, who's the person that we're identifying with in this story again? Who's the person? See, it's a little hard in this one, isn't it? Who's the person? It's the person we didn't actually put in our story. It's still the host. It's, no, it's not. It, the person that we're identifying, sorry. But the person that we're identifying with is the host still. And here's what he's saying to this host who's putting a host a, a banquet together for Jesus. Here's what he's saying to him. You're not getting in. Because of what you do. Because this banquet is because I was important and you've invited me because I'm important and you only do this and you don't care about people. You're using them for what you use them for. And you've got your own agendas and you've got your own stuff and you're not getting in. Boy, I'm talking about bad table manners. This is just going from bad to worse. Do you see it? I mean, the, the disciples right now, can, can you just see if one of them is really confident of verse? He's hiding under the table now. Oh my gosh, look what you've just said to this host. He's saying you're getting in. But what's he really saying? What's the bigger message in, in terms of who's not getting in? Just what Patricia said. The Jewish people. Jesus is telling them, because you were born of Abraham doesn't make you get in. Just because you call yourself Jewish and you have a bloodline that goes back there, it doesn't mean that you get in. Because if you're about your own thing and not God's, you don't get in. You see it? And I don't have any trouble about bringing a lot of people in. Guess who got brought in? Guess who was, guess who was behind the hedge? Right? So what are the disciples supposed to be getting out of this at this moment in time? Remember, these are a series of stories that he's telling them, and it's going deeper and deeper. So where are you right now as a disciple? What are you thinking right now? Oh, crap. <laughs> if, it, if the Jewish people, by the way, let's be very careful about this theologically. You understand this is replacement theology means that the Christians have replaced the Jews, and the Jews' story is over. That is inaccurate. That's bad theology. What there is, is there's a pause in the Jewish story while the time of the Gentiles comes in and the Gentiles come in, and then three and a half weeks it kicks back in and so on, and that's the time of the Jews again. Okay, so there will be, the Jewish story will come to its fulfillment, and it'll come to its fulfillment, as the scripture says, in part, because God brought all those people from the hedges in. And the Jewish people were going in, how'd they get in? We thought we were supposed to be in, and they're the ones that are in, and we thought they were pigs to get in. And then they're going to find out the same way we did. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus saves you from yourself. Do you understand that always? You're being saved from yourself. Right? Okay, so let's keep going with this a little bit. All right? Now watch. Okay, saying this. By the way, always remember something. When you get it right, when you get a revelation right, you know what heuristic value is? Scientists, who, who's got it? What's heuristic value mean? When you answer a question properly... It doesn't just answer the question that you were asking. It answers a bunch of other things too. When you get a revelation right in Scripture, what will happen to you is 
a whole bunch of scriptures will come to your mind. Oh, that's what that means. So you see, you see from our story what this one means? What does it benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Remember, here's another scripture. I could come up with 10 of them now. The one where Paul says, you know what? I don't shadow box. I don't beat around aimlessly. I discipline my body. Lest having preached to all these people, I myself should end up short. See what he's saying? I need to have the things of God first and foremost. I need to seek him first, trusting that all things will be added to me. Does that sound like another this idea? Heuristic value, see? All right? Okay, good. Now, watch this. We just said that Jesus kind of scared the disciples. Now watch. Now, great crowds are traveling with him, so he turned and said to them. Now, this means that they're probably not at the house anymore. The, 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 the thought seems to be he's just left the house, though. It's not like it's days later that this happens. The way that Luke is telling the story, these parables totally go in a flow. Okay? So it's like he's now left the banquet. He's walking, and he's talking to all the people, including his disciples. And he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, we've just gone from the frying pan to the fire here, folks. Right? Is that what you thought being a Christian meant, to start hating your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters? Is that what you thought that this was about? Huh. Yes, even his own life might be a key for you. Cannot be my disciples. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Repeating it right there. Anytime Jesus repeats something, pay attention. That's like, a, that's like a, if you get an email from me and it has three exclamation points, that's that. Okay? All right? So here's what I want you to do. What the heck does that mean? Go ahead. Start talking. Okay? At this point in time, too, if you want to take some time and work on it yourself, start feeling free to do that. You don't have to do it in a group. But go ahead. Start just talk amongst yourselves. What does that mean? How are we supposed to interpret that? Is he saying you're supposed to hate your mother and your, your brothers and sisters and wife and, you know, is that what he's saying? What's he saying?
Okay. All right, who wants to take a stab at it? Who's got a good insight for us? Uh, the first question that I would ask, too, is how are the disciples? Again, I want to stay on that question right now because it's easy to apply once we get the disciples right. See what I mean? Once you get how the disciples were supposed to be reacting to this, what they were supposed to be thinking, you get, it's easy to get to the next one. Go ahead. Ah, go for it. Paul, you don't have to stand up. Yeah, I, I'm going to have you stand up anyway. This is, this is Paul who was... This is Paul who was one-armed skiing at 80 years old. So, okay, you can stand. All right. I think uh, there are rewards. There's good rewards. There's rewards that don't pay off, unpredictable. Uh, God wants us to be smart. Get the good rewards. Amen. The good rewards come from giving, not taking. Amen. Taking brings the unprofitable reward. Yeah, amen. God said, lay up treasures in heaven. That's where the good rewards are. Amen. Thank you, Paul. And those are those that we help in the earth. It's awesome. God's will. It's awesome. Okay. And Somebody God. else? Oh, go ahead. Did you have more? Okay. Go ahead. Somebody else? Rich? In these, we see that in all the stuff that you're talking about this week and last week, one, gen one generalization you can do it is Jesus is always trying to reach the people, and he's even trying to reach the host here. Yes. And he was trying to tell them, boom, what did, what did that guy need? He needed to hear that he had aged some things. Yes. And to become more like, become more like Jesus. Yes. This whole thing takes you down to what's the greatest good that I can do. I get it, Rich, but how does this apply? No, no, just because you and I. Because How does this apply to hating your mother? It's doing the thing that's going to seek to God. What's the greatest commandments? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to put aside anything that comes in between yeah. you from fulfilling that. Yeah. And if it's your choice, you know, he says there's going to be two people in the field. Yeah. And he said there's, for some of the people, it's going to be, they're going to do stuff and done these things in your name. And he says, I never knew you. In other ones, he's going to say, come on up. And they'll yeah. say, when did I do this? I, you're very much getting to the depth of where we are, but I, I feel like we still have a transition point. Can Joel? Thank you, Adam. <laughs> um, so I just want to stand. In, well, I didn't want to stand in front of like half a row of people. It feels weird. Feels like I'm neglecting people. Um, so a, a couple points on this. Um, at that time in the world, I guess if you think about people in that place in that time many years ago. Um, what's the most significant thing to you in the world, right? It's not just on your car, it's on your house. It's your family, right? The most significant, uh, important, possible thing in the world at that time was your family, right? And then next to that was probably your own life. So the point there is he's placing a value in those things and saying, literally what I'm telling you is you have to be willing to give up the most significant things to yourself in the That's world, right? right? Right. So he's, it's, it's a value statement. It's not about literally actual, actually hating your mother or your father, whatever. It's, a, it's, it's looking deeper at the value of who yes. those people are yes. in your life at that point in time in the world. And, and it, you know, he might say something different today, you know, a, a little bit different, you know, in the lens of today's I world. I hope not. From that, he might. From I hope not. From a worldly perspective to connect to yeah. the people, you know, because it's a worldly view, right? Yeah. So he's going to connect to your worldly view. And yeah. then... Underneath that, um, the perspective on the cross 
and all that was like, look, if you're willing to do that, in order to, that's the repetition of the be my disciple, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to literally take the thing that is most valuable to you in the world and the world's lens and the world's view and neglect and reject all of that to follow me, right, and to, and to do my will, you're going to understand that the world's scrutiny, entire scrutiny is going to come against you at the exact same it. time. You're going to have to it. bear that cross. I love it. I'm going to take what you just said. I'm going to take it one step further. Where's the very best place that you should put your mother and your father and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters? Where's the very best place that you should put them in your life? On the cross. Make them more important than the cross. What do you get? You actually hurt yourself and them. Uh, do you remember? Here's how Jesus does it, right? Then he went home and a crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, to capture him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. You could say that a way of interpreting this, which some people do, it seems just absurd to me. They say, oh, what they, what they were saying was is that there was this big crowd of people that was crushing in on him to where he couldn't even eat. So they were coming from the crowd. But that's not what they're saying, is it? What are they saying? He's crazy. This thing is out of control. He's getting puffed up. He's lost it. Do you see it? Well, let me say something back. Thank you, Jesus, for losing it. Thank you, Jesus, for not quitting because your mom told you to. Thank you, Jesus, for not quitting because your friends told you that it was crazy. Thank you, Jesus, for not getting distracted, for getting home. Right? He's not saying, God is the one who says, become one with. He's trying to make us all one. That's love. He's not saying you have to hate your parents. What he is saying, you have to love me so much more that it's as if. So much more that in relief, it's not an issue it's whatsoever with you. You are doing what God told you to do. Let me say it a very real way. I have Mormon and, and, and Muslim friends who came out of Mormonism and Muslim. And guess what they had to give up in order to come to Christ? I mean, massively. Okay? They, they, I mean, this was a, you know, I'm not turning my back on you, but I'm going to believe in Jesus, which caused them to turn their backs on these people. Okay? Let's just do it. Okay? Watch. Now watch the flow of this. Are you getting the flow of this? Look, what is the real cost of this? Which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. And on this one, I'm going to tell a quick story about me. Because I want to tell you that everything we're in right now is my life. This is my story. I'm not going to go into great detail on it. I've done it ad nauseum. I use the word nauseum advisedly. So sick of telling my story. But the bottom line is a lot of people that don't know it. But, the, but here's, here's what I want to say. When I, at one point in time, I was wealthy, and I felt like God told me to do something. And the first time he told me to do something was sell half my assets, and I, I came up with a reason why not. So later on, 
I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I said, I want to give God everything. And so I came to him, and I said, I want to give you everything. And he told me to fast and pray and, and this kind of stuff. At the end of the fast and prayer, he told me to do something, which now, listen to me, listen carefully to me. I don't think that told me to do this. You understand? I think I made a mistake. I really do. Thank God mistakes aren't a big deal to him. Thank God that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And let me say why I made the mistake. Because I had to. I had to make that mistake. But here's what I did, and I know I did it with my whole heart, and I know that I stand before the Lord pure on this. I said I would give him everything. Years later, after he took everything and I understood what it meant, he came to me very graciously and to me in a prayer time. And, and very clearly, and I know this to this day, it, you know, some things you just know, and I just know this. And he said three years ago when you told me that you'd give me everything, and now I have ruined you. I have embarrassed you. I have hurt your witness. The things that have happened, seeing everything that you had. C can you imagine how many friends were telling me that that was crazy? There were also family members that were telling me that was crazy. What I said to him was, is, I don't disagree. What I do is, I just can't say that I've given God everything and have a nest egg in case it doesn't work out. So I'm going to give him everything. To this day, there are still family members that were hurt by what happened to me to the point that it hurt their walk. Should they see this, and I hope that they will, I want to tell you, I don't feel that way. What I got back for what I did, I would never trade. I did lose everything. And I gained the whole world. My life became valuable in ways that I never even pondered possible. He gave me more than I could think or imagine. I'm the luckiest person in the world because I gave him everything and he took it. This is my story. And the next one that we're going to get to, all the more so. But I just want to tell you, this isn't an abstract thing about some parables and some stories that were supposed to affect some people. You do realize these disciples, all of them, but apparently it may be John. It might have been another, I don't know. But you know that Peter and all these other guys were married and had kids. And they ended up going all over the world and changing the world. And sometimes they did, in fact, bring their wives along. You know? That, that's mentioned in Scripture. But here's what they did. They did right by their kids and wives and parents by doing right by God. When I was fully broke and fully busted and everything else, and I went back to the Lord, and he told me, graciously, he said, I'll give you everything back. When three years ago that you, uh, you had everything, I took it from you. You didn't know what you were talking about. Now that you do, I'll give you everything back if you want it. Or you can go this way. I've told this before, but let me say it again. I quickly said, I'll go that way, because that's just who I am. The Lord rebuked me stronger than I've ever been rebuked in my whole life. He said, I have just ruined you. 
and you would make this decision that cavalierly? You know what scripture he was referring to? And I'm telling you, it sobered me. Because <laughs> he had just... Reputation, financial, everything else. Not health, thank God. But the bottom line was, is that I spent another three days and I just said, okay, I'm counting the cost. And then I came back and I went, okay, I've counted the cost and I want to go that way. And he said, great. <laughs> and I know with everything in my heart that I could have gone back the other way and he would have said, great too. There was, he made it so clear to me that there was not a better than. It was just what I wanted. And I said, I want that. And I'm here today because of that. And I've done all kinds of things all over the world because of that. And I've done so much more than what a little comfort and money would have ever bought me. Thank you, Jesus. He walked about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, you are willing, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Here's what I want to say. Thank you, Jesus, for not putting anything ahead of the best thing that God had. I meant to say something. Let me tell you something. There was a point in time at which I told the Lord, I said, I'll go back down to Southern California, and where we ministered in Southern California was a pretty rough place, the kind of place where gunshots went off at night. And I said, I'll go back to Southern California, but I did say something to him. I said, but I'm asking you to take care of my kids because I don't know anybody who lived where we lived whose kids made it, not one. Every single one of our friends, their kids went through terrible, terrible times because of where we lived, the drugs and everything else that was there. He just said, if I'm going to do this, I'm asking you that you take care of my kids. And I felt he said, I will. And I f he could have put me there, but he put me here. And this has been a pretty pleasant place compared to there. But let me tell you, I was willing to go there. And what I want to say by bringing this scripture up is Jesus was willing to go there. <laughs> right? Because there was a part of him that didn't want to. Wanters, we're trying to change our wanter. There was a bigger part of him that did, and look what he did in order to get his wanter changed. You want to know the cost of getting your wanter changed? you got to want to change it. And I mean that for real. Because what happened with Jesus was, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great cups of blood. Let me reinterpret for you what that verse means right now. Here's what that verse means. I want this and you want that, and I need to get that in my heart so that I want that. You see it? Do you see the cost of following Jesus, picking up your cross? See what we're going after? We're going after the thing underneath that. Get your wanter right. Here's what it's going to take. Can I just, this is so freeing. Don't ever tell God something that's not true. Don't ever think that the facade you put up for other people is going to work him. Don't ever say, oh, I really want to do that. And inside, you really don't. Admit it to yourself. Own it. 
I don't want to do that. Now, there's another part of me that does. The Holy Spirit leading and guiding me in this new, new man you made in me. There is a part of me that wants this, but there's another part that... <laughs> bring that part to him. That's the part that he redeems. That's the part that he changes. Bring him your problem. I don't really want that for these reasons. Here, on your altar, do something with that. And then stay at that altar until he does something. Work at it. Don't be casual. I still want this. God, get me to where I don't want this anymore. Get it to where I don't want it anymore. So that the only thing that's left is the new creature that you made me that wants you. Right? You see how we can get real and it works? Or we can be fake and just die? Okay, last one that we're going to do. What king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose against him with 20? Is he going to win? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Does that mean he's going to take it away from you? Who cares? His business. We, we always say give a tithe. you got to get that out of your head, even though I say it every week. You don't own anything, and it's better if you don't. If you still think you do, you'll act accordingly, and it'll you. It's all his. He just asked for 10% because he's saying, do you know whose it is? Right? Okay. Who are, the, who are the people in here? Oops, somehow I missed that. Who are the people in here? Who, who's, the, who's the two characters in here for this story? The greater king and what? The lesser king. All right, so there you go. All right, talk amongst yourselves. First question you want to ask is, who's the lesser king? Second question you want to ask is, who's the greater king? Third question you want to ask is, what difference is that making in the disciples' lives and therefore mine? What's he trying to say? Go ahead.
All right. Who's the greater king? I mean, who's the lesser king? Excuse me. Who's the lesser king? Us. Right? Who's the greater king? Who's the greater king in more than God? Who's the greater king? You can do it. Got to wrestle with it, remember? Who's the greater king? Don't just say God. It's Jesus. The one who's telling them the story. We already talked about how the fact that this ought to scare you a little bit. Go ahead. Go ahead. Who's, who's got one? We just can do a couple, okay? Do you see somebody, Sean? Is that what you, are you going somewhere? Okay. Nobody's going to try? All right, go ahead. Thank you. So this one's tough, but I think that what he's saying is, is that uh, you can negotiate with God. I mean, not negotiate in a way that you're going to win, but at least you can have a conversation. So when you're the lesser king and you reach out to the greater king, I mean, that's your, I mean, you're talking about Donald Trump. And he always negotiates from a position of strength, right? Yeah. Well, how good is it that we can, we can come to Jesus with a position of weakness and he'll still love us and you, listen to us? You, I love, thank you for doing that because I love where you're going with that. And you'll see that in two seconds. Go ahead. Uh, Tamara. Yes. Okay, what I saw with it is that I'm going to war the wants that I want, and then I see God, who's just so much bigger, coming at me with the wants that he wants, and I'm like, oh, this is not going to work out well for me. <laughs> so maybe if I go and say, hey, I need my wants renegotiated, so my 10,000 joins your 20,000 instead of your 20,000 conquering me um, and join I, me that way. I love it. I love it because you skip right over, and you got right to the point of it. And that's exactly right. And you just were, we're a little, I'm just going to roll forward because of time. Watch this. You're the lesser king. You're not going to win. That's it. You're not going to win. Doesn't matter if you think you're going to win. Doesn't matter if you think maybe somehow you're going to marry. You're not going to win. It's not 10,000 versus 20,000. It is you versus then I saw heaven open and a white horse standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many crowns. A name is written on him that no one understands except himself. He wears a robe dripped in blood, and his title is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest purple and pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations by the breath of his mouth by this from his mouth comes the sword he doesn't have to go to war we're all arrayed in battle at armageddon and it's just done right it's an entirely different dimension of done okay he will rule them with the iron of rod he will raise his fiery wrath of god the almighty like juice flowing from a wine press you know, this doesn't sound like that tolerant god that the culture wants us to disbelieve in and be like does it there is he is love don't misunderstand it the love is palpable and powerful to the cross 
But he's also God. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Let me tell you what Lord means. The one who makes the decisions for you. When you're under a Lord, it's not like being under somebody you voted for. When you're under a Lord, you're a slave. When you're under a Lord, you do what he says and what he wants because of whatever reason he's got for it, it doesn't matter. He's the decider. He decides what you do and when you do it and how you do it. Here's the thing. We come at him, right, thinking that, that we can fight or that we can... And here's what you have to do. Do what a king does when he knows he's going to lose. He bows his head and prays to God that he doesn't get his head chopped off. And he gives everything. And here's what the Lord does. Now that you've given everything, here, what do you want? But I wanted it, and that's why, no, we can't play the game. You have to get to that deeper place, and this is what I love. I love it. Thank you for that. We have to get to that place where what we understand is, is he wins. So engage the process of him winning now. Start now. Because here's the point, see? And this is what he's saying to the disciples. This is the, right? Now, salt is good, but if the salt loses its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the solar for the manure pile. They throw it out. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Okay, how do we interpret that? Who's the salt? Who's it supposed to be? Us, right? The Jew, well, in this case, the Jewish people, right? And us. What does the salt do? What does salt do? It does preserve, but it doesn't cooler. Taste brings out a flavor, doesn't it? So salt brings flavors out. It preserves, which is good, and what we're supposed to be doing too. But we're, the way that we preserve is by bringing out a flavor. In particular, what is Jesus telling the Jews and us to do? Bring God's flavoring out of everything. Let me, let me just sum it up. We've just done a whole bunch of parables, right? And we've learned how to sort of take them. We've learned how to break them out into their characters. Enter into the protagonist. Let happen to us what happens in this story. Process it. You had a couple of minutes to work with it. I had prayer time to work with every one, every one of these. It's a lot of time to work through them. If you take the same time to work through them, you will come up with deeper and richer and more and more. Right? But here's the whole point to it. What's the big overall lesson of all of these things? What's he saying to us? Are we really his disciples? Are we really living a life? We are truly his disciples. If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. You can't be. Because you're still holding on to something else. And I need you, the whole of you, just like myself to you. And so, how can, how can we become ones who are truly his disciples? How can we do this? Thank God it's so simple. Here's all we have to do. Simply find and bring out God's flavor and presence in everything happening in our lives and others too. Not just in a parable. In the stuff that's happening in your life, find the meaning. The reason why the devastation that happened to me with losing everything isn't a pain in me, despite the fact it's painful, the reason why it doesn't have a hook in me and, and hurt me and continue to, is because I found the meaning in it. I found what God was doing in it. And I don't, I'm not painful now, I'm thankful. 
Find the meaning in what's happening in your life. Find his presence. Bring the flavor of God out of everything that is happening in your life. Be the kind of person that preserves the world by being the kind of person that finds God's presence, which is everything all the time. Be the kind of person that brings that flavor out so that when people are going through devastating things, including yourself, you can bring hope. You can bring life. You can bring the good news. You bring Jesus. You bring the Holy Spirit. bring the love of the Father. You see it? This is what he's been telling them. Bring me. <laughs> right? Let me have all of you so I can have all of you so that you can be all of me to people that need this, that want. And I'm telling you, without, in my own personal testimony, having lived those scriptures, I stand here as a witness to you of the, the effectiveness of this kind of life, of the profit to be found in it, of the glories to be had, of the wonders to be embraced. Lord, in Jesus' precious name, this congregation comes before you, and we desire to be those who start to taste your flavor, who taste it so much that it goes down inside of us and it changes who we are so that everything we are is changed to the point that we simply start becoming more. Conform to your image much more than that. Made one with you. So that just as the Father flowed through the Son and the Spirit flowed through the Son, so you flow through us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for how you do it. Thank you, God, that you have reset some planks in some lives today and that using these simple tools, working at it, entering into the story of our lives, finding the revelation, getting an aha, resets us that we actually become more and more of you. God, do this in every single person in here to the nth degree. If, I want you to really take a moment. I want you to say, do you want this? And if you don't, don't say yes. Go back to the Lord and say yes a degree, but no in this degree, and go after where the no is so that you can get it taken care of so that with a full heart, you can say yes and amen. Lord, in Jesus' name, we reach down and we pick up these two cups. And in this bottom cup is this, is this life, this life that I've lived. And by the way, if you are here and you do not know the Lord, what a beautiful time to say yes to him. Having heard the riches that he has for you, you might be a little scared. But oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let me ask you to press through that fear and say yes to him that he might come in and start showing you why that's such a great call. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, those who do and those who don't, we now look at our lives and we say, I get where I haven't worked hard. I haven't dug deep. I haven't found the revelation. And I allowed my planks to still be set in worldly, selfish ways. But now I come to you seeing more clearly, more fully, more richly what it is you're trying to do. And I say in Jesus' name, come into me right now, God. I recognize what I've broken. And we put our finger in there saying, I recognize what I've broken. 
But now we look to the cross where is the healing, the making us whole yet again. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we take this saying, thank you for taking our brokenness. Heal us as whole. And now in Jesus' holy and precious name, the life that you have for us, already purchased, already won, beautifully. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we receive. We take this into ourselves. Thank you, ushers. Is this working, you guys? <laughs>